0: You are listening to T F T V Sports. You hear it, is, you know it, is, it, you know it, you know it. it, is, it, is, it is sports Section Morning Show. T F T V Sports Section Morning Show. Good morning, to y'all, man. We got seven o five Central Time on July tenth for episode seven of the Sports Section Morning Show. We're gonna jump right into it, man. Jump right into it. According to Mike Reese, yesterday was a big update. He was actually he actually was con he wrote an article, and then there was a Patriots fan underneath the reply saying, How do you feel about you know, the chances that the Patriots get DeAndre Hopkins compared to the Titans and yada yada yada? Mike Reese, who's an ESPN reporter that reports on the Patriots, said that he's and I'm paraphrasing. He said he's leaning towards the Titans getting him compared to the Patriots because they've been more aggressive than the Patriots. So both teams have tabled offers to Hopkins, and he's waiting it out until maybe, you know, the the word has been the beginning of training camp, right? So that's coming in the next, I think we start training camp around the 25th. So we got like two weeks away, a little over two weeks away, before we could possibly get a decision from DeAndre Hopkins about which team he'll be going to. To me, and leading up before this report, you know, this, this gave me a little bit more optimism, but... For me, this is more so some affirmation that, you know, the Titans are still in the hunt and they're not just dilly-dogging away out of it, you know. For me, personally, before this, I always was under the assumption that he's been waiting out to get with, you know, wait on a contender, more of a a ready-made contender to give him, table him an offer such as the Chiefs, Uh, the Bills. They wouldn't be able to do it, but the Chiefs, somebody of that nature. You know, so and the reports are coming out that the Chiefs are still interested, but they haven't tabled an offer. They've got some things they've got to take care of. They got I think Chris Jones is holding out or threatening to hold out around his contract. So they've got to get some things sorted, which if they get him extended and that frees up some cash space for this year, I could see them tabling an offer for Hopkins and he'd probably go there, to be honest. So it's really a, a big domino effect right now with the NFL. I don't think Hopkins will wait that long for the Chiefs. I think he'll he wants to be in by training camp. That's been all according to all reports. He wants to be in, you know, around training camp so he can prepare for the season. You know, that's that's understandable. But we just don't need the Chiefs to get into the ball game because if they come in the ball game, then he's he's going to go there. They're more ready made than the Titans are. I mean, that's that's a fact. They're just more ready to win than the Titans are. It's just as simple as simple as. He'll probably take a little less money to go there anyway, you know, but according to this report, the Titans have been more aggressive with their offer, which can le- lead me to believe a couple things. We're either more aggressive with uh, the number of offers because supposedly there's been multiple offers made by each team to Hopkins that he has maybe a long-term deal and a short-term deal that he could ponder over. To me, this more aggressive verbiage lends me to believe that the Titans have offered more money. And this is just my assumption. That they've offered more money than the Patriots, which is surprising because Kraft came out with some statements a couple weeks ago, which this could all be posturing. And it might have been last week that he came out with the statements that if he, you know, if he's not, it was, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it was a matter of him investing into the team salary rise, and paying high salaries. He said if he's not going to pay high salaries to the team, then he'll just sell them. That's what Robert Kraft, Robert Kraft, the Patriots owner said. So that could be posturing with, you know, the negotiations with them probably tabling a better offer for Hopkins, because apparently, uh, apparently Belichick's in love with him, but Vrabel's just as much in love with the idea of having DeAndre Hopkins. So it's all personal preference for Hopkins, of course. It seems like we're offering more money, but he's waiting on the Chiefs, it seems like to me. But, you know, it just remains to be seen if the Chiefs get into the ballgame. You know, they, they've they got some things they have to deal with on their end, the Chris Jones extension, to be able to manufacture some cap space for them if they're able to. So, we'll see. Y'all let me know in the comments on uh, YouTube, Twitch, even uh, Twitter, and we're on Facebook also. Let me know in the comments what y'all think about the DeAndre Hopkins fiasco that we're in now and the offer that we've been tabling, apparently it being more aggressive than the Patriots. So, Y'all let us know in the comments of that. Make sure you give a like, subscribe on YouTube, like, subscribe on uh, Facebook, Twitch also. Make sure y'all share the stream, man. We got to get some folks in here. We got a lot to talk about. Also, that'll lead me to pose this question. And this is a poll that I posted on my Twitter yesterday. And have got some some results that I imagined I'd get. But the question I posed was, would the addition of DeAndre Hopkins – push the Titans to be contenders in the AFC? I'll read that again. Would the addition of DeAndre Hopkins push the Titans to be contenders in the AFC? So as of right now, we've got 64% saying yes, it will push the Titans to be contenders and 36% saying no. Me personally, I think that it would push the Titans closer to be contenders in the AFC. Granted, the Chiefs and the Bills are on a whole nother ball game with their quarterback play and that's a big deal in the NFL that's one of the most important things in the NFL as we've seen in the past with the Titans but with the the Titans defense the way they are and adding a weapon to Tim Kelly's offense along with the the pieces that we've drafted and Chig taking a big step in the next year I think I think people are sleeping on us to be honest I really do I think people are sleeping on the Titans going off of what That sour taste that the Titans left in everybody's mouth last year. It was terrible. We lost, I mean, like eight out of ten games. It was something crazy like that. But it was a lot due to injury. Tannehill was injured. Uh, Burks was injured. A lot of our weapons were injured. Offensive line was all mangled up and banged up. And we had Dennis Daly playing left tackle. We don't have that this year for now. Knock on wood. But this team... Was on pace to win the division before all that happened last year. I think people forget that the Titans started off the season pretty decent, absent of that that loss to the Giants. But even if they would have won that game against the Giants, they would have been you know top two, three seeds in the AFC before the injuries hit. You know, and I understand injuries are a part of the game in the NFL, and you have to manage it. And the Titans have to do a better job of managing it, whether that's getting players that are more or less susceptible to. You know, these recurring soft tissue injuries that hampered us all year, you know, getting rid of your David Longs and who's injured now for the Dolphins, of course, with a, I think, soft tissue injury. So you can't make the shit up. And and other players. But, you know, without these injuries or without them in the big quantity and uh, at the, the terrible time that the Titans had, they were on pace to make the playoffs. They could have made the playoffs, you know, if we... If we would have won the game in, in the, uh, against Jacksonville at the end, we would have made the playoffs in, you know, but we, we were signing quarterbacks off the street, starting quarterbacks off the street in Josh Dobbs, and he did a decent job, but that's the sort of taste that has left, has been left in fans' and the national media's, you know, mouth with how bad they ended the year. So. I think with as long as we have Mike Vrabel, we'll always contend in the division at the very minimum. You know, at the very, he's just that good of a coach. He'll will us to eight wins at a very, very minimum. You know, that's that's what the and he he did that with the terrible ass roster we had last year. So when I look at this team because of the draft and the additions in free agency, I don't see a position group that we got worse in. To be honest. I can't say we got worse at receiver because Robert Woods was dog shit. He's just a shell of himself. You know, he went and he's robbing Houston right now of money as we speak. Got a ski mask on and everything. But the receiver position, we're at the same. It's the same to me. You know, it's, it's bad. It's terrible. With the addition of Hopkins, it'll make it good. And we don't need a great receiving core to be able to compete and contend. We've shown that we don't need that. It'd be great, but we don't need it. Offensive line, it's better than last year. You don't have Daly playing left tackle, protecting the quarterbacks. Well, I can't even call protecting. Uh, Standing there like a wet paper bag behind the quarterback, quote-unquote protecting him on his blind side. You don't have that no more. We got Brunskill. We got a little bit more depth across the interior offensive line with the addition of Skaronsky, your Brunskills. You know, Levin is a solid piece to have there. Brew is going to be playing center at a position that he's more fitted to. He's not a he, He's really not an NFL guard. If we're being honest, he's he's a little too undersized. But center, he's he's perfect for that position, as we saw against Green Bay. As we saw against Green Bay, right tackle remains to be seen with you know MPF, a uh, parlay petit, parlay petit, with his fucking gambling shit, you know. But in the meantime, we can move Brunskill out there and have Levin at uh guard, Brew at center, Skoronsky at the other guard, and Dillard at left tackle. So we didn't get worse at O line. D-line, we didn't get no worse. We've we're adding Landry back. People forget that. We're adding Harold Landry back. You know that that's one of the he's one of the most important players on that defense with how versatile he is, whether that's him with a with his hand in the dirt, rushing a passer. Or disguising coverages with him dropping in into the flats and such, he's very important to the versatility and the disguises that Vrabel and Shane Bowen like to put on against teams. You know we we really didn't have we really didn't have a D end or slash outside linebacker like that last year that could drop into coverage. I cringed when I saw Bud dropping back into coverage, not only because I thought he was going to sprain an ankle, but just because I knew he couldn't do it. It's not his game. Landry can do that. We're adding him back into the fold. He's going to be healthy. Inside linebacker is, is uh, I mean, it's, it's a concern of mine. But it was a concern last year when David Long was hurting shit all the time. So we get more consistency in that position. We still got uh, Dr. Gibbons there. We got the linebacker we got from San Francisco. He's a dog, Aziz. I think it's Aziz. That position group has maintained or got marginally better. And the DBs, they've got to get better than what they were last year. They're growing. The young DBs are growing together. There's going to be improvement there. This is McCreary's second year. He's going to improve. Fulton, if he stays healthy, that's a tenfold improvement on last year. He's got the talent. And we should, I can't see Byard leaving at this point. We got Byard and Hooker there. Hooker has to stay healthier. So this team is better than they were last year. And we still scraped up like eight or nine wins. Still scraped scraped by without a quarterback at the end. The quarterback position, we got more options there than we had last year. You know, I, I know I sound like an optimist, but we have the tools to compete. I think we can compete with the addition of a of a DeAndre Hopkins to lead that receiver room to comp- and having a complement of Traylon Burks, Chig, uh Kyle Phil a healthy Kyle Phillips, who they claim is is uh, Cooper Cup light, by the way. I don't see that. But this team has gotten better. And we've gotten better coaching. We don't have fucking Todd da- Todd Downing calling plays. We've gotten better. Titans fans need to be a little more optimistic about this year. I know it's not like years past where we were having hopes of making a deep playoff run. That can still happen. Any. Once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. As you as we saw in 20, what was it, 2019 or 2020? Anything can happen. We just got to get there. Preferably with a with a division, with a divisional title. We just got to get there. Y'all let me know in the comments, man. Where how far do y'all think the Titans would be able to get this year with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins? Y'all think they would not make the playoffs? You think they'd win the division? Second round of playoffs, AFC Conference Championship, or potentially Super Bowl. Y'all let me know. Y'all let me know in the comments what y'all think. So that's that, man. I, I'm The more I talk about it, the more optimistic I get about the Titans. And I do this shit every year around. Usually, usually it's a little earlier in the offseason. It took a little longer this year. But, shit, we, we here now. I'm all in. It's July 10th. We all in, man. We got training camp coming around the corner. I start seeing the training camp videos. I get even more excited. We're going to see, man. Be optimistic, Titans fans. Be optimistic. All right. All right. Moving on. We got Team USA. What a game that was. What a game that was between Team USA, U.S. Man's National Team, and Canada last night. USA beating Canada 2-2 and went to PKs and won 3-2 on penalty kicks. Man of the match, Matt Turner, by the way. Arsenal man through and through. You see what happens when when... When these guys go and play for a club of, of Arsenal stature with the coaching, the facilities, Mikel Arteta, you see what happens? Turner was already a dog of penalties before he got to Arsenal. I'm not I'm not saying Arsenal gave him that. But, man, Turner is a hell of a keeper. A hell of a keeper. You know, I think next year he'll be able to get a, a decent move to be a starting Premier League keeper somewhere. If not, if not in uh. Maybe I ain't gonna say January, that's not gonna happen. But next summer I could see Matt Turner moving up to moving from being an Arsenal, you know, backup keeper to moving to a, a really good side in the Premier League, you know, a a a mid table, a mid table side. Or moving to a side that's coming up from relegation. I I can see him being a starting Premier League keeper next year. He could do it now if he if he got the opportunity, he he could do it now. Not for a team that would necessarily be demanding their keeper to play out from the back and stuff like that cuz he's not that's not his expertise. He's gotten better at it since he's gotten to Arsenal, but he's still not he's still not uh you know at, the, at a top level to be able to consistently do that. He's gotten a lot better, don't get me wrong, but there's still a lot of work to be done and that could be improved this year. It's amazing to me how he still improves. Like how much he's improved with the ball at his feet at 29 years old. I mean, he's a model professional. Matt Turner is you you can't you can't take that away from him. And he's a great keeper. He's a great keeper. Still learning and still improving at 29 years old is amazing as a as an athlete, especially in in soccer slash football. Where that a lot of times that's the end of the career for players outside of goalkeeping. You know, goalkeepers tend to tend to uh, have longer careers than than other than other position players. Sort of probably. Play. They can they can go keep to 34, 35, they really want to. But he's really still improving. And it's going to show when he gets a when he gets a good move here, probably next summer, I'd imagine. But we'll we'll recap the game a little bit. A great goal by Schoffelberg, too. Nashville let's see. Schoffelberg. great goal by him. Running down the left flank. Cuts in, cuts back out, cooks the defender. He don't really cook him, but he he blows by him a little bit. He had fresh legs. Gets to the penalty box. Hits it with his left foot. Takes a slight, slight, slight deflection off the defender in front of him and knuckles into the far right corner. Excellent finish by Schoffelberg. Excellent finish by Schoffelberg. And we need that in this with Nashville SC. That'll be really important to get that, get him back in the fold with Nashville SC, full of confidence. It's a big goal for him. Back to Turner. So in the 90th minute, Anderson, I I don't even know the cat's name. Uh, it's not. One of them defenders, I think it was Anderson, gave up a silly-ass penalty. He was playing volleyball in the penalty box. I don't understand what the hell he was doing. He hit the ball with, it wasn't even his hand. It was like his forearm. I don't know what the hell he was doing. You know you got a 1,000 cameras on you. They were 1-0 they were up. They were trying to see the game out. And he does that silly shit. Gave up a penalty to uh, Canada. Victoria, number five for Canada, comes up to the penalty spot. You know, does a little run up and shit, kicks it right down the middle, sends Turner to to Turner's right. Turner in his head is probably thinking, all right, it's a tie game right now in the 90th minute. He just sent me, he just shot one down the middle, knowing I was going to dive right or left. Let me keep that in mind. All right. So we get a goal scored by Canada. Good. They could have won, to be honest. They, they had a second chance. They scored their second goal, and then they had a second chance point blank. That dude blew over the bar. Really, really a little unlucky there by Canada, even though they got outplayed. Um, uh, USA scores to tie it at 2-2 at the uh, around the 100 and I think it was 114, 115th minute. On the PKs. On the PKs. Turner saved three penalties. And remember what I said earlier. Vittoria comes up, the guy that scored the penalty in the 90th minute for Canada. He comes up. Where do you think he goes? Right down the middle. Turner stayed right there and saved that shit. Victoria is probably like, "Fuck. You know the balls? You know the balls Turner had to have to do that? The confidence in himself bar none. But the balls to stay down the middle on a penalty shootout. I know this this shit probably sounds crazy. But to stay down the middle on a penalty shootout, why the guy actually and daring him to stay down the middle when he shot it? And he did. And, and Turner still managed to save it. What a save by Turner. That was probably that was the most impressive save to me in the penalty kicks that he had. He had three saves in the penalty kicks. And United States won 3-2. But that in itself, man, just exemplifies Turner as a player and a professional, man. Confidence in himself, but also confidence in his ability. Cause you can do that and miss, and you sort of looking the goalkeepers looking like a, you know, the team is looking like what the fuck, you know, but he had confidence. He's like, even if the guy, you know, makes it, fuck it, I'm gonna save the other ones, and that's what he did, and that's what he did, man. Got a stat here: Matt Turner in his career has saved 14 out of 29 penalties that he's faced. That's insane. 48 percent save rate. 48 percent save rate for. Matt Turner on penalties, man. He's becoming sort of a specialist. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. He's becoming sort of a specialist. Y'all call in. Y'all call in to uh, 931-603-1476. 931-603-1476. Let's talk USA, U.S. Men's National Team. Big, big win in the quarterfinals over Canada on PKs. Matt Turner, man of the match. We also talk D-Hop. Call in, talk D hop to the Titans. But man, what a save by Matt Turner. What a game by Matt Turner. And hopefully the United States goes far in the Gold Cup. It's not quite there. It's, you know, they put out the best possible team they could. But uh, and they dominated Canada. But let's hope they go far. They're going to the semifinals. I'm not sure when that next game is played. But let's see, man. I think it's going to be an excellent game. Excellent, excellent. uh, Excellent rest of the tournament for USA, man. Let's hope they do well. Let's hope they do well. On the Nashville SC. Nashville SC. We got Heine Mukhtar. He didn't start for uh Nashville in their game against Chicago. They lost one-nil to Chicago. He didn't start. And of course, Zimmerman didn't start either. He was serving a suspension for his red card due to uh, two yellow cards in the previous match. And, you know, they needed, they needed Heine's. Clinical finishing in this match because Nashville didn't play. They didn't play bad at all. They actually played pretty decent. They had 59% of the possession. They completed almost 500 passes in the match, and they had 18 shots, but only two of them were on target. That's why Heine comes in and his his clinicalness really helps out Nashville. They they were creating chances. They just didn't. They just didn't convert them, and they were a bit unlucky with with the chances. Not being converted because a lot of these shots were last minute blocks or good saves by the Chicago keeper, and the goal that Chicago scored was really—I mean, it was because of a mistake from the Nashville left center back. I forget his name. It was a mistake. He—he was. They were playing it out from the back. He decides to, and this pass was on during the game. I—I'm not going to fault him too much. The pass was on. It's a risky one, but it's on and, and has been on during the match. But he's going to his left. And it's somewhat of a cutback into the into the middle of the park where Nashville, one of their midfielders, have dropped. Chicago's midfielder, made a, he anticipated it, uh, intercepted it, and they were all for a counterattack, and they were able to score in the 34th minute. Hebers with Herbers with a goal in the 34th minute. But that was the only sniff Chicago had. They only had six shots and one shot on target. Other than that, Nashville really played well defensively. They just uh, conceded as a result of a mistake on Saturday. You know, Heine came on at the half, but Chicago had already set up shot by then. They were already defending in their low block. And the game was really transitionary. That's not even a fucking word. The, really, the game was really transition based, but Nashville just couldn't convert, man. They just couldn't convert on any of their any of their shots. Like I said, they had 18 shots. They just were not able to convert. And they missed Heine and his and his clinicalness. Y'all call in 931-603-1476. Let me know what y'all think about Nashville SC and their loss. But, you know, ultimately, Nashville, and I understand why Hiney why didn't start because, you know, they, they've got a ton of fixtures coming up. They got the, the League Cup coming up. I think they got three games this coming week. You know, these games are piling up. And then, you know, with, this is going to be an important stretch up until the All-Star break. Nashville's got to win these three games, especially the League Cup. I think they can, like a a frequent caller in Austin says, Nashville has a chance of winning that. You know They've got a really good team. It's just a matter of being able to maintain that level in the league, in the MLS, of course, and also the League Cup while competing on both fronts because Nashville really doesn't have the depth to do that. That's why it's important for Nashville to get somebody, get some folks in, in this transfer window, excuse me, and get a striker in. If you have a striker like that, you can rest Heine in games like this. And a striker will be able to convert some of those chances. Brynberry, he didn't convert enough. You know, we just don't have the clinicalness at the striker position at this moment to be able to rest Heine and be able to have a chance of winning. We converted all the chances in the world, 18 shots and couldn't score. You know? So it's important to Nashville. They have to get somebody in. And it doesn't have to be a big name. You know, not a lot of people knew who Heine was. Heine Mukhtar was before he came to Nashville. It doesn't have to be a big name that Nashville gets in. To me, it just has to be the right profile of a fit in that striker position, which to me would be a bigger striker, a bigger, bigger body striker that would be able to, that the other creative players like Leal, Mukhtar, and that shadow striker that they have behind them would be able to play off of when you boot the ball forward to him. You know, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to drop deep like fucking Messi and you know contribute to play in the midfield. No, we don't need that. You know, we've got we've got plenty around him that will be able to do that and do that to a good level. But when we're playing those long balls forward, we need somebody that'll be able to cushion those balls down or flick the ball on and head the ball to our creative players that are flying forward like Mukhtar and Leal and you know Shaq Moore even when he's flying down that right flank. We need a bigger-profiled striker to come in and to be able to provide us some goals and somewhat of some playmaking. I mean, that's playmaking when you're getting a ball booted forward to you and you're able to cushion it and hold it up and wait for your other guys to come around you. That's what Nashville needs. It doesn't have to be a big name. The talent's got to be there. He's got to be able to finish, and he's got to be able to you know, have some technique to him to be able to hold the ball up while his teammates can get involved once we're playing those long balls forward. Have to. That would be able to now we'd be able to give Mukhtar more rest and so he could be more fresh for the important games you know we shouldn't have he shouldn't have had to play the first half for us to win this game against Chicago he shouldn't have had to it would have helped, but if we had a striker there that could have convert converted just two of our chances, we would have won eighteen shots and no goals that can't happen cannot happen. Let's talk to me, De, Ellie Dela Cruz, man. Ellie Dela Cruz, what a player! What a player he is, by the way. Got a, so we'll 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 take it in chronological order. A couple nights ago, he was facing the Nationals in Washington, right? I think it was four or five nights ago. Davey Martinez, manager of the or the Nationals, has the umpires check his bat in the second inning for a a sensor knob. Like a drive, it's like a drive line sort of sensor knob that he had on the bottom of his bat, and it was empty. So the umpires come and check his bat. They have him take it off. A couple innings later, MOB calls, league office calls in, says, No, the, the sensor's all right. He can put it back on, right? couple innings after that, in the seventh, uh, Nationals are down or they're tied. I think they were tied 2 2 or something like that. Ellie drives in. Oh, no, 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 I'm going to walk it back, walk it back, walk it back. He hit a home run in the, uh, I think it was the fifth inning after that, after they told him to take it off, 455 feet up to the second deck in Washington. That ain't ain't no easy feat. The ball necessarily don't fly the best up in D.C. He hits a 450-foot, 455-foot bomb to the second deck at National Stadium. The manager of the Nationals, Davey Martinez, didn't really like the bat flip that he had. And he, he provided a quote after. His, said this is according to uh, this is from National Nationals on MASN. David Davey Martinez's quote about the home run and his antics after that. He said, I love the way he plays the game. I didn't like his antics after he hit the home run. We can do without that. He's only got two weeks in the big leagues, but he's going to be a good player. Dude, shut the hell up. Shut up. Your team, and this is a Davy Martinez. I hope you see this. I hope you see this. Your team is 36 and 54. You don't need to be worried about a guy bat flipping a 455-foot home run and hit off your team. Your team has the fifth worst ERA in baseball, 4.76, fifth worst. Fourth worst opponent batting average in baseball. Teams hitting 270 off your pitching staff. Third worst opponent OBP. Guys are getting on base 346, 34 percent of the time, 35 percent of the time they face your your pitchers. The guys getting on first base. And to top it off, y'all gave up the fourth most home runs in baseball, 124 so far. Antics aren't the issue, Davey Martinez. Your pitchers are. Ellie Martinez isn't the issue. His bat flips aren't an aren't issue. The issue is your pitcher is giving up 124 home runs in the season and giving up a 455-foot bomb to a guy that's been in the league for two weeks, like you say. Yeah, he's going to be a good player. He is a good player. He'd be the best player on your team. I can't stand that shit, man. These old-school baseball guys that are so against bat flips and really – Emotion, period. Outside of hit a home run, look at it and jog around. That's what they want. No. Baseball is fun. Guys can have, have emotion when they're playing baseball, especially when you hit a, a bomb over 450 feet after the manager of the other team has the umpires checking your bat and taking shit off your bat. What would you do when you were the, when you were younger, David Martinez? That would piss you off. All right. So you pissed Ellie off. What'd he do? He hit a 450-foot bomb off your pitcher. That's what he did, you know? So, miss me with all that all that old-timey, you know, don't, don't show any emotion, don't bat flip after you hit home runs and shit. Man, screw that. It's a new age. It's a new age of baseball. Ellie De La Cruz is leading that new age of baseball. What a player. So, bring us forward to uh, to Friday night. So Friday night, he's playing playing in Milwaukee against the Brewers. Friday night, the Brewers trolled him. They had a fun fact thing. You know the things that they do during the innings. They had on the scoreboard, and this is alleged. They had on the scoreboard uh fun fact. Ellie De La Cruz is not actually the fastest man in the world while he was batting. They had that up while he was batting now. Fast forward 24 hours to Saturday night, a couple nights ago. Ellie De La Cruz comes up seventh inning, top of the seventh. Think it's a 2 2 ball game. Comes up to bat, runner on second, drives in the goal ahead run. He gets on base. He's at first. Steals second base. Next pitch. Steals third base. Before the pitcher even gets back on the rubber, he fucking steals home. Like insane. Insane. According to ESPN, he's the youngest at 21, he's the youngest player in the live ball area. So that's way back to the damn Great Depression, 1920s and shit, to steal three bases in the inning. And he did it in two pitches. And he did it in two pitches. That's insane. The guy's special, man. The guy's special. That's what that's what brings people to the ballpark. When you have talents like this that are exorbitant, that are full of emotion full of passion, and full of talent more than anything. That's what brings your your fair weather, and there's nothing wrong against being a fair weather fan, don't get me wrong, but that's what brings your fair weather fans to the ballpark on the weekends and for those afternoon games during the week. Seeing a talent like that every night, that's what makes baseball fun, seeing talents like that. Stealing second, third, and home in two pitches. That's insane. I mean this guy, so talented, has all the all the tools. He's gonna be an excellent player, man. I'm probably gonna give me a jersey. I love watching him play, man. He's excellent, excellent, excellent player. Excellent player. All right. So that's Ellie Dela Cruz. All right, so let's talk, let's talk home run derby. And once again. Y'all subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Twitch, like the video on YouTube. If you're listening on Apple, Spotify or Amazon, go to YouTube, subscribe, go to Twitch, subscribe, man. That's the best way to support us, support the channel where we're able to do more. Excuse me. To be able to do more. uh, Morning shows like this, more podcasts. That's the best way to support us, man. So make sure y'all do that. Bringing it to the Home Run Derby tonight, we'll be live streaming, doing a live watch along of the Home Run Derby. B will and J will starting at seven on YouTube and Twitch. It's gonna be a good time, man. Gonna be doing some live commentary, giving y'all some comedy for it. So the Home Run Derby, we got once again, we got Lewis Robert Jr. and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you all the brackets here. Lewis Robert Jr. is gonna be facing off against Adley Rutschman. Pete Alonso is gonna be facing off against Jul- Julio Rodriguez. Mookie Betts, National Kid, is gonna be Facing off against Vladdy Jr. from the Blue Jays. And Adoles Garcia is going to be facing off Randy Rosarina. So out of the eight players, that's the bracket. And for me, I think the dark horse to win it. And y'all let me know in the comments who y'all think the dark horse, who y'all predict to win the home run derby night. Who the dark horse and who y'all think I actually, actually win it. For me, the dark horse is going to be Julio Rodriguez. He had a ton of home runs. In the previous home run derby last year, he's the hometown guy in Seattle. So he's going to have a little bit more juice, a little bit more flavor during a home run derby. And give him a, that might give him a little more pop. That might give him a little more pop during a home run derby. Now, he's got the power to do it. He's used to the ballpark. I think he has a good chance of winning it. But who I really predict to win it is Lewis Robert Jr. from the White Sox, man. The guy has 26 homers already on the year. Crazy power crazy power, and the ballpark lends itself more to these Deadpool hitters than it would – Deadpool right-handed hitters, that is – than it would some of your left-handed guys just because it's a little bit smaller in left-center field. I just think it's 376 in left-center while it's 381 in right-center. It's like probably – I think it's 330 in left while it's 326 in right, but it's a little bit more smaller out in left field. And those Deadpool right-handed hitters – Be a lot better in that ballpark than the left-handed guys, to be honest. So I think I think Lewis Robert has a good chance of winning it. That's who I'd like to win it. I mean, I'd like to. That's who I think will win it. Let me rephrase that. That's who I think will win it. I'd like to see Mookie Betts win it, you know, as a Red Sox fan and, you know, him being from the Nashville area. That's who I'd love to see win it, but I just don't see him. I don't see him getting that. He's got the power to do it, but. I don't think his swing lends itself to a home run derby well. You know, he's more of a line drives guy instead of a a towering bomb hitter. I just don't see him him being able to to beat out the guys of your you know your Pete Alonzo's, your your Louis Robert Juniors, your Vladdy Juniors. I think I think they'll be able to. They're more of the ones that have a better chance of winning it. But like I said, the dark horse for me is Julio Rodriguez, who I think is really going to win it. Is going to be Louis Robert Junior. And once again, you know, we're going to be we're going to be doing a live watch along of that TFTV will be on YouTube and Twitch at 7 p.m. Make sure y'all join us tonight for that. For that, that's all I've got. This wasn't really a a big, big weekend in American sports, to be honest. You know, over in Europe, they had uh, they had cricket and shit going on. Formula One, not really too big into that. I need to. The Formula One looks like it looks lit, man. If y'all want to talk more about Formula One, y'all let me know, man, I'll. I'll dive into it a little more. I guess we could talk about a little Arsenal. really ain't been much updates on Arsenal. They're headed to Nuremberg. They're there. They're not headed. They're already there in Nuremberg. Timber completed his medical on Friday. Declan Rice supposedly has completed his medical on Friday. They'll be joining the team for sure for the U.S. tour, according to all reports. Havertz has already joined the team, and he's already in Germany with them. They've got a friendly against Nuremberg while they're going to be at, and also, they're going to be at the Adidas facility doing press runs and shit like that for Adidas commercial obligations that they have to do. But you know, I'm eager to see. I'm eager to see what Timber does more so than Rice because I know Rice is going to be. He's going to be that generational midfielder that we have. He's going really going to elevate the team. But Timber, man, Timber is going to offer us that Zinchenko ish dynamic on the other side of the pitch on the right hand side, and that's going to allow. Arteta to be a little more tactically variant and keep teams on their toes and if you field both of them against your your like relegation size teams that you know you're gonna you know dominate 70 65 percent of the ball they won't be able to get the ball off us you know you talk about the level of control that we would have it'd be amazing company that with Decla rice in the middle and if they manage to get Caicedo from Brighton if Arsenal manages to get Caicedo from Brighton it might be over. The Premier League might be in the bag. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. And with that, we would be competing heavily into the uh, champ- deep into the Champions League too. If we get Caicedo, and even if we don't get anybody after that, you know, of course, that depends on outgoings. Partey would have to leave. La Conga would have to go. La Conga, I don't even think he made the trip to Germany. I haven't seen him on any of the any of the pictures. But if we're able to offload those two, and bring in Moisés Caicedo from Brighton. I'm predicting a trophy, which I prefer to be the Premier League and a deep run into the Champions League, maybe getting, you know, getting to the quarterfinals, maybe even semifinals of the Champions League. The team would be borderline unbeatable on paper. They would. They would. That's just in pure talent. If you accompany, accompany Mikel Arteta and his tactical nuance and his you know, impeccable system that he's implemented with Arsenal, that'd be really hard to beat, man. They'll be incredibly, incredibly hard to beat. And that's just stopping at Caicedo. Apparently, we're supposed to be getting in a, a striker also or somebody on the four lines that could deputize Saka or Jesus. This is all dependent. That would all be dependent on, you know, Bolligan and Inketia leaving. I don't know. It's not Bolligan and Inketia. Probably Bolligan or Nketiah leaving. but. Man, it'd be hard to beat. Arsenal would be really, really, really hard to beat. Speaking on Bolligan. So, according to Talk Sport over in, over in Britain, England, Bolligan and his representatives have been in contact with Chelsea about a potential move for him. And this will bring me to to this too now that I think about it. I don't like that move for Bolligan to Chelsea. I'd like it as an Arsenal fan... And I got to separate my Arsenal fandom versus my realisticness for what's best for Florian Bolligan as a player, which is also what's best for the U.S. Men's National Team. As an Arsenal fan, the move would be great, depending on the money that Chelsea would offer, which they say is you know north of 30-something million, probably 40 million. That'd be great business on Bolligan to be able to get, get rid of him for that price and be able to reinvest that into a possible Caicedo or, or somebody that would help the forward line like a Musa Diaby or somebody of that nature. But taking my Arsenal goggles off, I do not like that move for Balligan. Chelsea, attacking players have not fared well at Chelsea in the past couple of years, ever since they've had Lampard, to be honest. Pochettino's coming in and... He's shown that he can get the best out of attacking players. He plays good football, but it's still Chelsea, man. There's something wrong fundamentally with that club, and I don't want Bolligan there with all the other striking options they have. They've got Broja already there. He's coming back from his ACL injury. He's already training. They got Jackson from Villarreal. I think he's from Villarreal. He's from La Liga. They just signed Nkunku, who's not an out-and-out striker, but he's like a shadowist striker. He's a second striker that'll play behind a striker. And adding Bolligan to that, that's not the type of, that's not the amount of minutes that I want for Lauren Bolligan to be getting. He needs to be the undisputed starter for a team that he's going to. I'd like to see him at a Brighton, at a, uh, at at like a, like an Inter Milan. They've got, they're rumored to get Lukaku. I'd like to see him there where he'd be, an undisputed starter and be able to get the minutes he deserves to be able to showcase his talent and improve as a player. He wouldn't necessarily get that at Chelsea. I wouldn't want him at Chelsea there at Chelsea. Not even, this isn't even from an Arsenal perspective. This is from a player and U.S. men's national team perspective. I do not want for Lauren at Chelsea. It's a cesspool for attacking talent. There's been rumors of Arsenal potentially doing a, a swap deal With Chelsea, like where a Mudrick or, you know, apparently they want Lewis Hall in exchange for Bolligan. All great moves for Arsenal, but not for the player, for for Lauren Bolligan. And that's who arguably, to me, is more important than what Arsenal can get for him. They can sell him abroad and get a decent fee, and it'd be great for Arsenal and Bolligan. That's best case. But him going to Chelsea is not not the best scenario for Bolligan. It's enticing. I can see why it's enticing to him, because of course they're gonna tell him like, "Hey, you're gonna be the premier premier guy. We want you to be our striker." Yada yada yada. They might even give him the the number nine. Hell, but that's not that's not good for him. He's not gonna be guaranteed minutes. And he's not gonna be able to showcase his talent. And it remains to be seen how well Chelsea's attacking platform is gonna be with Pochettino. It's gonna take time for him to implement his tactics and his ideas on the team, and it's going to take even longer for them to be able to implement those on the pitch. So Chelsea's not where I want him. I do not want him there. I want him somewhere somewhere different like a Brighton or, you know, even Crystal Palace would be good. They've got great attacking talent and Eze, Olise there. I'd like to see him there, depending on the fee, of course. But anywhere but Chelsea, to be honest. From a Bolligan perspective, man, any anywhere but Chelsea. Anywhere but Chelsea. Pulisic. His move to AC Milan is confirmed. All but confirmed. It's confirmed in the media. It's not confirmed by the clubs yet. If he once again, if he plays as a ten, I think it could be a really good move for him if he gets the minutes he he needs. I think it could be a really good move for him. But I mean, I'd love to see him on the on the left starting as a winger, but they have uh Rafa Leal there. One of the best one of the best wingers in the world, let alone uh at AC Milan, you know. So that brings me to the point, and this will probably be what where we end up at. Landon Donovan, US men's national team great on the field. Not necessarily off the field. The guy he says some stupid shit. Pardon my language. He says some dumb shit. Right, I'm going to read the quote that Donovan laid out for uh, for him. I think this is it. So he was speaking to Fox Sports, and uh, the full quote is, the World Cup's coming in three years. This is a once-in-a-lifetime. He's going to be in the prime of his career. His life as a soccer player, his earning potential. I'm sure he's making plenty of money. You're pocket-watching your pocket at that point. Shut the hell up. But the ability to come to MLS, kind of like Messi did, I'm not so sure that wasn't a big reason for Messi, the World Cup coming here. I think it would have been a great move for the Galaxy to go out and get Christian, bring him here, pay whatever you have to pay him, bring an American superstar's global recognition back to MLS ahead of the World Cup. I think it would have been a great move, and I can hear the Twitterverse going crazy. Yeah, because how stupid it would have been. My biggest thing is he needs to play. I know we all said he went to Chelsea. He's going to play a lot. He didn't play a lot. Nope. Who said that he was going to play a lot at Chelsea? At Milan, I would think he's going to play a lot, but you just don't know. So leading into the World Cup, what if he spends the last six months leading in 2026 like he did this year? Then what happens? He's not playing a lot. He's not in good form going into the World Cup. And, of course, that's not what the U.S. Men's National Team would want. The U.S. Men's National Team also would not want their premier player playing in the MLS with all due respect to the MLS. They would want him playing against the best competition in the world week in, week out in Europe. That's what they would want, Landon Donovan. They would not want him playing for the L.A. Galaxy leading up to the World Cup just because he's getting minutes. He can get minutes in Europe. He can get minutes at a mid-table team in in the Premier League. They say he's going to get minutes at Milan. I think he can get minutes there. And he's playing as a 10. He's going to be the focal point of that team as a 10 in Milan. If that actually goes through as they say it is, as they say it will with his playing time, and his position, that's the best move for him. He's going to be playing in the Champions League. He's going to be playing week in, week out in the tie league. Great league for attackers. Not the MLS at LA Galaxy. What are you talking about, Landon Donovan? That doesn't even, that, that sounds, so the first half of it sounds stupid, and then you cleaned it up at the end with, yeah, what if he's not playing in the work? Yeah, of course. But he's going to be looking at that in 2025 at the team he's at. And taking that into account, you know, he probably, Chelsea, that's different because he had three different managers in three years and Lampard, Tuchel, Lampard again, and uh, Potter. So you whatever they told him and the promises they made him in the offseason, they weren't valid when new, coat, new managers came in. So that's a different scenario. If he plays as he should at AC Milan, this is the best case for him. The best case for his career, best case for U.S. men's national team. He's playing in a good league. He's going to be playing Champions League. He's going to be playing week in, week out in a position where he'd be the focal point of their offensive setup. So, Landon Donovan, you're wrong about that, buddy. You're wrong. He proceeded to say the best version is him at a place like Milan playing every week. This is exactly what I said. Killing the league, and he's ready in 2026. But there's a lot of risk. That is then the guy, Edu countered him and say that's the risk you take though, right? Donald said, some do. I didn't. Pulisic is not you, man. And you can take the risk in 2023, and you've got three years going up to the World Cup. 2025 is when you don't take that risk. So he signs a five-year contract in 2023. He gets there in 2025, and that's if he signs a five-year contract. If I was him, I'd sign a four-year contract. That way, your last year is 2027. And in 2025, before the 2026 World Cup, you've got two years left on your deal and the team is looking to to sell you if you don't uh, commit to a new contract. So best case is Pulisic signs a four-year deal with Milan and is able to reevaluate everything in two years in 2025 to see if that's the best place for him. And by then, who knows, Pulisic might have taken off and get a move to a team like, you know, uh, go back to a team of a stature like Chelsea has on a world level and be starting. Who knows? You know, soccer and football is a crazy game. It all depends on Pulisic and how well he performs and how well he performs. So, yeah, that'll be it, man. That'll be it. Thank you all for joining the Sports Section Morning Show. Thank you all for listening on Spotify. Thank you all for listening on Apple Music. Thank you all for listening on Amazon. We'll be posting clips of this on YouTube later on. It'll be up on the streaming services today. So thank y'all for y'all support. Make sure y'all like the video on YouTube. Make sure y'all subscribe on YouTube. Make sure y'all subscribe on Twitch and make sure y'all tune in tonight at 7 o'clock for our live watch along of the 2023 Home Run Derby, man. Thank y'all for y'all support.